Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. Father, we could never earn these things. They are impossible to earn. But through your goodness, you have freely given to us and bestowed upon us all of your love, all of your mercy, and all of your grace. Father, your love is better than life. Your mercies are new every morning. You are faithful when we are faithless. I pray for those who are grieving uh, this week and and have just gone through rough things. Some uh, have family members that have passed away and some have um, just are going through depression and, and some really difficult things. And I pray, God, that our time in your word today, that you would pour out encouragement and living water on every single person that ever hears this Bible study. God, I pray that uh, I know that the enemy wants to distract us and wants to destroy all the work that, that you would do today and that your word could accomplish. And Father, I pray that you would keep that from happening. I pray that you would be um, victorious in the battleground of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're in Mark chapter 12. This is our fourth study in Mark chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 34. And uh, we're, the, the title of today's message is, Do You Love God? Or, or it's really about the law of love. So that's the title, the law of love. And, and I'm asking these questions. We're going to answer these questions as we go through it. And we really need to think about it. Do you love God? Super honest time, right? Like, so let's get down and let's just answer this question. Super honest time. Do I love God? Do I love him? Do I love him the, the way that he deserves to be loved? Maybe the first time I answer that question, do I love God? Of course I love God. But then I add, do, you lo- do I love God? Do you love God the way that he deserves to be loved? Which is perfectly And the answer to that question is, no, we don't love God like that. Anyone who thinks they do uh, is is mistaken. Uh, We could say pridefully arrogant and uh, we could say all those things, but we'll just say mistaken. We do not love God the way that he deserves to be loved. Uh, let me let me ask some questions that will just kind of stir our hearts and probably not make us feel too good. Is the Lord the all-consuming passion of my life? Do I have a deep, intense, and abiding affection for my Lord? And maybe you're thinking, yes, I do. But the question is, could it be deeper? If it could, then he deserves more. And we're still falling short. Am I loyal to my God with an exclusive love? Do I resist or even oppose anything or anyone that seeks to do my Lord harm? 
because of my love for him? Am I zealous to defend my Lord's name and honor? Do I enjoy and pursue spending time with my Lord over everything else? Do I do things that please my Lord and increase his joy? Is his joy really the only thing that matters to me? Do I brag on my Lord to others? Do I tell my Lord that I love him consistently? Do I talk with my Lord as much as I can, serve him, obey him, and honor him perfectly? And the answer is no. We don't, we don't love God the way that he deserves to be loved. But what's amazing is that being a Christian doesn't mean that you measure up and qualify by your own goodness, by your own performance, by your own love. That's not what being a Christian is. Being a Christian means that I realize that I have never really loved God the way that he deserves to be loved. But I believe, because I'm a Christian, I believe that he loved me first. He loved me always. And his love and his gospel produce his kind of love in me, his perfect love is produced in me, and I'd never have to muster up that love. I never have to produce that love in my life and in my heart. I, it's not my job to make myself do that love. I can't do it. My job is to receive his love for me. That's what the gospel is. His love for me. And that love, I let it change me. It can change me. So should we love? Should we love God? Yes. It's the greatest commandment we're going to see today. Humans are expected to love God. That's what we were created to do. It's the purpose of our existence. You were created to love God, just like a car was created to drive. When you see a car pushed out the back of an airplane and falling, it, that's not what it was created to do, and it doesn't do it very well. It can't fly. A plane was created to fly. A shovel was created to dig. Everything has its purpose, and man was created to love God. That is our purpose. It's our purpose we are required to love God and love him perfectly, but we don't because we're a bunch of rebels and we decided a long time ago that we were not going to fulfill that purpose. We were deceived into taking another purpose on our life to love ourselves, to choose things for ourselves. Uh, and, and here's where people get confused and tricked up and baffled. We don't love God, but I've heard it time after time after time I've heard it over and over, the, this message that comes out through the church that says, your problem is that you don't love God enough. Yes, that's our problem, okay? So the solution is simply to love God more, okay? But let me tell you that more loving God more isn't what he deserves, and it's not what's required of you, because how much more is, is more enough? What's required of us is to love God 
perfectly because he is perfect. So the advice to tell someone you need to just love God more actually pushes them further away from God and a right relationship with God and a life that pleases him because it's, it's causing us to be the source of a love that we could never produce. I agree that I don't love God as much as he deserves. And I think pretty much everyone who's sane would agree with that. But how am I supposed to just love him more? I could never love him as he deserves. I am broken. I am bankrupt already when it comes to love. And you're asking me to dip into reserves that I don't have to love him. I don't have that in me. You see, love is a law. Loving God is a law. And as we've learned through the years of, of being a church and studying his word, how do we ever obey a law? It's always through the living grace of Jesus alone. It's never through our own efforts or our own desire. Just because we know what the law is and what it says doesn't mean that we can do it. Just because you know what the Ten Commandments are does not mean you're a Christian. And just because you try to keep the Ten Commandments does not mean you're pleasing God. Neither one of those go together. If someone tells you that they love to, to love God more, that that's the path you need to go down, just love God more and, and love others more, they're telling you to follow the law, which is good. The law is good and we should follow the law, but the law is also impossible for us. And the law is not the gospel. And this is what we just have to be so clear before we even start looking at our text today. We have to understand the law is not the gospel. Jesus comes. He's going to be talking about the law today. And we have to remember the law is not the gospel. Jesus came to bring us the gospel, which saves us from our complete inability to keep the law. We're going to learn today the law is that you should love God with all your heart. And you should love others perfectly. You should love God perfectly, love others perfectly. We can't do that. But the gospel saves us. The gospel transforms us. And the gospel will enable us to keep that command through his grace. So let's get right into our text today. Well, I guess not right in. We had a long introduction. But we're going to get into our text right now. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together perceiving that he had answered him well. We'll pause right there. This scribe has been observing these all these arguments that Jesus has been having with these various groups of people, and he brings an honest question to Jesus. All the other questions have been dishonest, trying to tra trap him, trying to trick him. But this guy, this scribe, perceives in his heart that Jesus you know, holds the words of eternal life, that Jesus is, is actually pretty smart, and he, um, he is maybe the teacher that we should all be listening to. You know, and Jesus does hold the words of eternal life. So this scribe is on the right track. He comes to the right person and he asks him, which is the first commandment of, of all, which is, or the greatest commandment of all, or the most important commandment. And, uh, and, and so we all need to pay attention here. What question is being asked? What is the greatest commandment in the law? The law. Okay, Jesus is going to answer that question, but we as, a, as an audience listening, we got to remember what is the great, he is, the, he did not ask, uh, what 
how do I be a Christian? How, how do I please God as a Christian? He's asking, what does the law require of me? What does the law say? This is very important for us to understand that. What is the greatest commandment in the law? When he, when he asks that, he means the Ten Commandments, what's the greatest command, plus the other, the 613 laws in the Old Testament. There were, there were 365 negative laws, laws that said you couldn't do these things. There were 248 positive laws saying you had to do these things. And of all those, he's saying, what is the most important? This wise guy, this wise scribe wants to know what's the greatest of all, what's the most important law. And, and again, I want to clarify, the question wasn't, how do I get saved? Or how do I make God happy? Or how do I be a Christian? Or how do I operate my life and, and, and serve in the church? What, what sign do I put on, what, what logo and, and uh, phrase do I put on my sign outside my church? This isn't that. It's what is required of me. What does the law require of me? What does God expect me to do? What is the purpose for my existence? That's what this guy is asking. And there's a huge difference. You see, man is supposed to be holy. And as we're seeing today, loving and perfect. That's how we were created to be. And the truth that comes when we hear that command is not what we want to hear, but that's what the law tells us. The law tells us what we don't want to hear, which is what we were supposed to be. And the truth is we all fail at it. But let's see how Jesus answered him. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 and 5. is called the Shema. It's a very famous. Uh, they would pray this every morning, the Jewish people. So they all knew it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And, and, and it says in context, even all the days of your life, all the days of your life, you're supposed to love God like this. So this command is to love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why is that a command? Because God deserves that. He's God. He is that worthy of our love. Why should I love God? You should love God for who he is. Not because it's even commanded. It's commanded because it's truth. He is worthy. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. I'm going to read to you this verse. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, it describes a little bit of why we should love him. It describes who he is. It says in Exodus 34, 6, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. 
God, just who he is, the description that he gives of himself. This is God's word about himself. You want to know who I am? I am merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness, keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving sin and transgression. That's who I am. If we did love God perfectly, all the other commandments would be easy. They really would. But we don't love God perfectly. We are kind of confused about who he is. We don't love God the way he deserves, even though it's commanded of us, and even though we were created to do that. So what are we supposed to do? If that's who I am, and I can't really argue with it, then what do I do? I'll get to that in just a moment. Right now, we need to squirm in our failure and in our weakness. Ah, don't you just love when church makes you squirm? Love God perfectly is a command, Jesus says. How much are we supposed to love God? Perfectly. With our whole life, every moment, with our whole mind, with our whole heart, Perfect and never-ceasing love is the standard for a human being. And it is what he deserves, and it's also what we fail to give him. Only one man has ever loved God perfectly, and that was Jesus Christ, his son. When Jesus came onto this earth, he loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if you watch his life, you'll see what that kind of love looks like. Uh, I got a quote from Sinclair Ferguson. So I love this guy. He's an old uh, British pastor. He says, God is never satisfied with anything less than the devotion of our whole life for the duration of our whole life. God is never satisfied with anything less than than our whole life, the devotion of our whole life for the whole duration of our lives. That's the standard. And you're saying, I can't do that. I know. We need to stop thinking that we can do that because we have already failed. Millions and billions of times we have failed already to love God. But that's not the only commandment Jesus gives. Look at the second commandment, love others. Look at this. He says, and the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. So first part of the greatest command is love God. We've already seen we failed to do that. The second part is love others. So let me ask you that question. Do you love other people? I know, I know. I love my wife. I love my kids. Yeah, do you? Do you? Do you love them as they deserve to be loved? Or let's see what he says. Do you love them as you love yourself? That's the standard. And the answer is, I don't love them perfectly. No. We're supposed to love God's children who have been created in his image. The neighbor, the term neighbor doesn't mean just the people that live next to you. It's, it's all of humanity. Even my neighbor, even my enemies are in view. They're included in this term neighbor. Not just my family. A lot of us say, oh, I love, and we pick certain people. But do we truly love 
as ourselves, perfectly, the people who annoy us the most. That's the command. And we can't water down. I'm not going to water down just to make you feel better, just to make me feel better. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, here's the command. It's the greatest command. Tim Keller says it so well when he, does it, when he teaches us this way. Uh, he says, Jesus shows us that love actually defines a lawful life. And he shows us that the law actually defines a loving life. They both work together. Further, Keller uh, teaches us, when Jesus says all the law boils down to love God and your neighbor, he's saying that we have not fulfilled the law by simply avoiding what the law prohibits, but we must do and be all that the law is really about and after, which is love. That's what the law says. Not just don't do all these bad things, but you must also fully with your whole life, love God and others. So this is the great summary of the law. Love God, love others. Not try to love God and try to love others. Not give your best, not do your best. The law never rewards anyone for partial obedience. Perfect obedience and perfect selfless love is demanded by the law. Jesus says this. He agrees with it. And let me tell you guys, this is not good news. Is it good news? No, the law never brings good news to us. The good news is the gospel. The law never gives good news to us. It only points out our failure and our inability to keep it. That's the job of the law is to show you you don't keep the law. It was never a 10-step program of how you could be a person that God wanted you to be. You have already failed it. You've already broken it. It's just there to show you how terrible you are at being the person God wants you to be. But he still loves you. And he still has a wonderful plan for your life. And it's called the good news of the gospel. What is the good news? We're going to get to that. Let's see what the scribe says. So the scribe says to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God and there is no other but he and to love him with all the heart, all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one neighbor, one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. This scribe is commended by Jesus because he actually understood what the law was saying, as opposed to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and uh, the Herodians who were misinterpreting everything and didn't understand that they were guilty. They all thought that the Pharisees thought they were good enough. The Herodians just rejected the law together and the, and the um, uh, Sadducees made their own law. So all three had their own way of dealing with the law, but none of them just took it as God said it and believed it. But this scribe, he does. He says, I get it. This is what's required of me. And Jesus says, awesome, that's a big win. But it's not everything. Jesus doesn't say that this guy is saved because he's not yet. Because just knowing what you're supposed to do, you know, to love God and to love others, 
doesn't really mean anything. It gets you one step closer to being saved, but it doesn't save you. Just even acknowledging we are still bankrupt. We're still sinners. And the knowledge of that doesn't really do anything with our guilt. Knowing that we're not loving, knowing that we don't love God and we don't love others is a good step and it's better than changing the law and misunderstanding the law. And it's one step away from salvation. And I think a lot of us, we avoid this step. We would rather treat the law like the Pharisees do, which is, ah, I'm, I'm good enough. Look how hard I try. Look how, look how I, I obey these few laws or these few laws. I'm really good at these ones. And this one's easy because I don't really even like doing that anyway. So I'm just going to keep that one and, and then I'll feel good about myself that I'm keeping the law. Pharisees, that's what they did. Herodians, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to reject the law altogether and do whatever I want. So really what they're doing is they're making their own law. My law is, uh, you know, be tolerant and accepted of everybody and all their stuff. And that's my law. And if you break my law, I'll cancel you. And then, and then the Sadducees who did their thing just rejected um, the law, so made their own law saying, we're going to, we're going to do our, we're going to hear the law, but we're going to interpret our own way. And it doesn't really matter what you guys tell us because, uh, or what the law tells us. So where's the good news? What do we do with the knowledge and the guilt that we have when we realize that we have broken the law? We have to humble ourselves before Jesus. This is the first step. So if you were this scribe, how would you get saved? Okay? Humble yourself before Jesus, step number one. That means confess that we do not love God the way that we should, and we do not love people the way that we should. We are guilty in falling short of his standards. That is humility. And this kind of confession is important. We confess that we could never produce his kind of love on our own. We have fallen short and we will always fall short. We need a savior. That's what humility is. Humility, great first step. Second step, put your faith in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus and your trust in Jesus. Jesus offers us forgiveness for our failure and we take it by faith, placing our faith in him, what he accomplished on the cross. Jesus offered us his own loving spirit and we receive it by faith. Jesus promises us uh, his perfect love for us and we experience it by faith, by faith. Jesus shows us his love on the cross and he makes his love available to us through the resurrection. Jesus does it all for us. The Bible is full of a lot of law and a lot of gospel. And we are supposed to be able to tell the difference between the two. What is law and what is gospel? If it's telling you to do something, that is law. And it's telling you what God has done for you, that is gospel. Does that mean we accept the gospel and we never do anything right and we go around murdering people and hating people and disobeying God's law? No. When you accept the gospel, his love transforms you and you are actually equipped and enabled to keep his law. It's not from your own strength. It is my job as a pastor to help you understand what is the difference between God's law to love him and to love others and his gospel. He loves you and he's provided all that you need 
to actually fulfill his commandments and be what you were made to be and do what you were made to do. He's done it all for you. His way. The law says, love God and love others. The law commands you to do these things, but it doesn't help you at all because it's not Jesus. It's not the gospel. It describes what Jesus would do, what Jesus would be like, how Jesus would act, how a man should act. But the law itself does not help you. Jesus does reach out his hand and offer you grace. The gospel says God loves you. The law says you need to love God and love others. You see the difference? John 3.16, our most beloved scripture says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel, that's the most simple explanation of the gospel. It declares what God has done for you. And it shows our response, believe. That's the combination of humility and faith put together. Believe, surrender. That's what we do. That's our side of the gospel. Believe the gospel. Believe it. Daily believe that it is everything that you need. Moment by moment, believe the gospel. That is our job. That is how to do this Christian life, to be a Christian. Believe what he has done for you moment by moment. Trust that it works for you. Understand that, yes, the law commands you to, be, to love God perfectly and to love others perfectly. That's all you need to know about the law. If you do those two things, you would keep all the rest of the law perfectly. Now, what attitude do we receive and hear those, those two commands with? The brokenness of someone who knows that they can't do it or the pride of someone who says, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to love God. I'm going to love others. Watch me go. I'm sorry, but you're not going to succeed when you go with that type of attitude. Um, so I want to explore real quick. If we believe this gospel, what is that going to do for us? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. 1 John 4, 10. It says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So what this verse teaches us is that if we let his gospel of love and grace into our hearts, it will be planted like a seed and it will grow a plant. uh, It will grow a life that is able to reproduce his love in our lives. All that the law demands of us to love God and love others is done in our lives through the power of his grace and love in our lives, his gospel. See, God just doesn't demand you do it and then leave you on your own to fulfill it. He says, I, this is how you're supposed to live. You are supposed to love God and love others perfect. I know you can't do it, so here is my beloved son. Let him come into you like a hand filling an empty glove and let his strength and let his life animate your entire being. Let it happen. I will provide it for you. His very life grows into our 
our lives through the gospel. And again, how does this work? Your job is to believe the gospel. Believing the gospel moment by moment, we call that abiding in Christ. It's simple. Just abide in Christ. Believing the law doesn't do anything for us except put us in a place where we know that we need a savior. The law can't transform anyone. Only the Holy Spirit can do a transforming work in us. The law can't save anybody. Just knowing that we should do better and and be better doesn't help us at all, except to know that we're not what we should be. And that is the place that we start from. The law is like a doctor that tells us our disease and then walks away, offering no help. Where Jesus is the doctor that comes in afterwards and heals you through his own power and love. Let Jesus be, lo- be the healer. Let Jesus be Jesus and let the law be the law and don't confuse the two. If someone tells you to love God more, know that that's just law. Know the difference between them telling you, it's, it's no different, excuse me, than them telling you do not steal and do not murder. That's, that makes you a Christian. No, it doesn't. Hearing the command and trying my best to keep the command doesn't make you a Christian. If being a Christian was all about keeping the law, then we would all not be able to be Christians and we would all go to hell because none of us can keep the law. We are all lawbreakers. Should we keep the law? Yes, every part, fully, from the heart. But we can't. How do we do that? Jesus says, by believing the gospel and you can walk by faith in the gospel. So do I just sit around like a bump on a log and do nothing? Is that what being a Christian is? I just sit here and believe? How does this work? No, it's not that passive. That's actually not believing the gospel and walking in it. Believe sounds and seems like a passive word, but it's not because to believe the gospel means we dive into the life of Jesus Christ daily. And Jesus is always working. Jesus is always living. Every decision that we make, we can make like this. We can choose to believe his love for us. We can choose to believe his grace for us and then step out in faith to obey his commands because of his love and grace for us. So we have these commands that we're supposed to love God and love others, and those are active things. And we must walk by faith in his finished work on the cross to do those two things, which will, which will shape and form everything that we do. But we cannot do them just by deciding to do it. We don't have that. We're bankrupt in that. We have to walk by faith in his finished work on the cross. Let me give you an example of how this work works. Okay, love God, love others. Okay, so we're going to say you need to love your family. Duh. And it, it, it's the law of God's kingdom. Okay, love your family. You can do it two ways. We can try. This is what we do. First, we're going to describe how we would try to do that in our flesh. Okay, by our own strength, without the gospel. That we would try our best to love them, but you will naturally fail because the flesh cannot do the will of God. No matter how hard you try or how bad you want it, you're going you're gonna to fail. Either they're going to do something that you just can't love that much, 
or you're just going to run out of love and it will always end in a failure when we try to do it in our flesh because the flesh cannot do the will of God. Or number two, we could do it by the spirit. This is what we're talking about here. Through the gospel. In the gospel, Jesus promises us his spirit as a gift, a free gift that will transform and animate our lives, give us the strength to do his love. So if we believe the gospel, what we're doing is we're admitting that we can't love on our own. In our own strength or in our own ability, we are bankrupt in those things. Then we call upon him. So is that passive or is that active? It's an active. You're calling upon him. Jesus, I can't do this. You're confessing. Jesus, I need you. I'm calling upon you. We really pray and ask Jesus to give us the grace that we need to love our families. Then we step forward to love them in faith. You open your mouth to speak loving things. You step up and stand up to do loving things. You look with eyes of faith. What can I do to love my family? So you see here that that's not a passive thing. Believing the gospel is not a passive thing. It's very active. We see praying. There's praying. There's trusting. There's confessing. There's reading the word to find out what love really looks like. There's so much activity, but the activity is not self-sourced. All by the Spirit. All for the glory of God and by the grace of Jesus. That's how the gospel works. So love God and love others is a law that we should fulfill, but we can't. And that's why God has given us the gospel. He loves us when we don't love him. He gives us what we could never give him. He offers to change us when we cannot change ourselves. He offers to love us, even though he knows that it's not going to come back perfectly. His love is promised to grow out of our lives as we believe the gospel. Now, I got to share with you something I was reading this morning uh, just to just to finish up. And this is this is free. You don't have to pay any extra for this one. This is just something I think the Lord was speaking to me this morning. Check it out. In John chapter 21, we have this uh, story. It's the end of the gospel. Jesus has risen from the dead and, and he's eating breakfast with his disciples. And Peter is there. And Peter has had a a kind of a rough time, right? So we know that Peter declared, I love you more than all these other disciples right before Jesus was crucified. You remember that? Peter pridefully declared it. He loved God so much. And what happened? And Jesus said, pride comes before a fall, buddy. And you are going to fall three times tonight. You are going to deny that you even know me. The, the, the worst unloving action that you could do to me is to deny me. And that's what you're going to do, Peter. You are going to fail because you think that you love me so much. Peter, you have to learn something really important, something called humility. Okay, so Peter does fail terribly. He feels really guilty about it. He's broken about it. And so... Uh, let's look at, at, at John chapter 21. We'll start in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he's pointing at the other disciples there. Do you, do you love me more than these other disciples? And um, so he's going back to that same thing that, that he had dealt with Peter 
on the night that Peter denied him. And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Okay, but Peter uses a different word. Jesus said agape, which means self-sacrificing, perfect love. Do you love me perfectly? And Peter says, I have affection for you. He uses the word phileo, which means brotherly affection, which means I really like you, Jesus. You, I, I love you as a brother, but I'm not, I'm not perfect in this, which is a good, good step. So Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. Okay, Peter, I want you to focus on serving me. You are, you, I want you to serve me in that humility that you're describing. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said the word agape again. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. So Peter responds the same way. Jesus, I don't love you perfectly. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Okay, so Jesus is restoring him, saying, I forgive you and I love you. And I know that you don't love me perfectly. Then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? This time Jesus changes his word and he changes it to the, the phileo word. And he says, Peter, do you, do you really like me? Do you have affection for me? Is your love, I, I get that you're saying you love me that much, but do you even really love me that much? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. You know that I love you, Lord. I do have an affection for you, but it is never, it is not perfect. And I need you. I'm, I'm tired of hiding from you. I'm tired of, of running away from you. And I'm tired of, of trying to feel like I need to produce this life on my own. Jesus, you know me where I'm at. And Jesus says, I know, so feed my lambs. I invite you to partner with me, Peter. I am going to work in you and I'm going to use you in this world powerfully. Keep that humility of saying, I don't love God the way that I should. I don't love others the way that I should and I need him. He knows all things. It's all, it's, it depends on his grace and power working in my life for me to be able to do even the smallest amount of love. It's him and I must abide in him. I must trust him. I saw that. I think there's a lot more we could dig into with that Peter story that would really encourage us. Uh, but we'll let the Holy Spirit do that this week because we've already gone 47 minutes and I think it's time for us to wrap it up. So we love you guys. Um, not as much as we should, but we do love you. And God loves us perfectly. Walk in that love. Believe that love. Let it be sufficient for everything in your lives this week.